0: So today's topic is all about white labeling. What even is white labeling? Should you do it? Should you not? Should you use others and have them white label for you? Let's talk about it. It can be a bit of a mystery for digital agency owners. We're all running businesses, essentially virtually. Some of us have offices, some of us don't. It doesn't really matter. Whether you are running a business like virtually or you have an in-person office, you can still um, have white labeling in your business. If you're in the beauty and skincare space, you may know about white labeling as the process of creating a product that other companies will then take and rebrand and sell it as their own, right? That is actually pretty similar to how white labeling works in PR. So like maybe you've gone to your dermatologist and they're like, oh, you know, I have my own brand of skincare that um, I've developed, but they've really gone to a really qualified lab and said, here are the ingredients that I want to have. And they'll say, we have pre-made formulas that you can just put your name on. So a lot of this stuff's pretty similar, but what it is, is taking an expert and their expertise and essentially putting your name on it and having it be your own. Um, you know, when you white label your services, you are working with a larger agency or a firm and you provide your work under their name to their clients, under their email. So it can be a really great way for people that are maybe just starting out. You want to gain experience in a certain niche, you know, especially if you're a freelancer. Um, That is a great way to jump in and say, you know, I don't have clients or experience yet in this niche. And obviously you're honest to the agency that you're, you know, working with. Like I have so many freelancers that are so good at what they do. If they're working in the baby and kids space, I know that they could pivot over to lifestyle or baby and kids. I mean, a beauty because they're just that good. And I would give them that experience with our clients, knowing that they know how to navigate the world of the media, whether it's you know a product in one niche versus another. Um, but white labeling services could get you in the door to get experience where you haven't already had some, uh, you know, experience of your own, clients of your own. So it, it can be kind of tricky to navigate at times. And so today we're gonna break down everything you need when you're considering white labeling, you know, what even is it? How do you price these services? Um, Maybe when it could be a bad idea and how to navigate relationships when you are white labeling. So what is white labeling? It is when a freelancer or an agency is providing their service under another agency or firm and the freelancer or agency that is doing the white labeling provides that service that is needed for that overall scope of work or for like a a, a very limited specific project that the client is looking to accomplish or the client has some goals and objectives and the agency has said in order to accomplish this, we need um, an influencer uh, activation in person. Like let's say for example, in my business, I would say you're launching in all the target stores on the West Coast. It would make sense to do an influencer activation at some flagship store. We don't really want to do events. So I could consider just giving them the name of an outside agency. Or if I'm um, managing that, managing, pitching the media to attend, inviting guests, I'm just not doing the event planning, I might consider white labeling that event planning Um, experiential marketing company services under my agency. You can have a markup. We'll talk about all of this. So it's like, whatever the scope of work is, you might need an outsider to help you accomplish it. And it's usually done by newer companies, younger companies, or freelancers who are looking to bring in some revenue and gain more experience in their niche, more results, um, just getting more contacts and, 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 also revenue, guys. I mean, come on. You know, if you're not making a ton of money on your own yet, you can offer your services for someone else's client and bring in some additional revenue. So firms will turn to white-labeled services when they need additional support outside of what their team normally provides or if they're always working with freelancers like I do in my business. So um, they all white-label. They're media outreach services for us. So that is under our normal umbrella, but it allows me to work with the best people because they don't have to be W-2 and only work for me. They can have their own clients, which I encourage them to do so that they can always have something to pitch and maintain those relationships that benefit my clients, see how it all kind of works together. Um, So when you have... Everything under the umbrella. You want to offer an overarching one-stop solution to your clients that gives that client that feeling that they're just engaging with one agency that will manage the relationship. Um, they don't have a ton of outside agencies to manage and to pay and invoices and getting them onboarded. The client still gets the benefits of a stellar agency experience a stellar expert execution of their campaign or their service um, and they have a more cohesive feeling for the client so they're not talking to like seven different outside agencies that aren't all talking to each other So as an agency owner, or maybe you're a freelancer, you may white label your services for another agency or white label someone else's services to increase your agency's offerings. So that in my agency has looked like social media content and execution, strategy and execution, Where we'll hire an outside social media strategist, we will hire a stylist and a photographer to create content and create the strategy for rolling out social media, building community. We don't do that, but I want my clients to have a one stop shop experience with Generation. So we would find outside freelancers or social agencies that would white label for us so that we could then offer that service. And we're also still having a hand in managing the relationship and having our PR efforts align with what they're doing on social or amplifying. This is a new thing. Amplification is now incredibly important for media to consider your clients for features. They want you to be amplifying to the point where they're sometimes expecting dollars spent on amplification. So let's say you have a product that they have linked to an affiliate link on Allure.com and now they're getting revenue from everybody that buys that product because it's their affiliate link. Now they want you as the brand to amplify and even pay to amplify on social media that feature that will drive traffic to people to then buy the product through their affiliate link. So it's like, we will feature you if you give us a revenue opportunity and you help us sell even more by amplifying, okay? So that's a specific example of social media or paid social, organic social needing to know what PR is up to so that they can amplify those wins, makes sense. So if you're not offering social media as a core service, or you do offer it, but you're not the one actually, you know, creating the graphics and creating the strategy and pushing out the content, if you have all of that under your agency, you can have those efforts aligned. And that's just one example of why that should be important to have those those efforts aligned. When you bring on white-labeled services, it's important to maintain that cohesion and consistency with your clients. So if it starts to look like it's cobbled together, it's going to feel like a hot mess. They're going to feel like it's fragmented and like one hand isn't talking to the other. You don't want them to feel like you're just a team of third-party contractors and you're just managing them more than you're managing the client's strategy. It's all about the best people, the best team to execute the strategy that you've developed in order to meet the client's goals and objectives. So cobbling together some team that doesn't feel cohesive, you know, it just gives that client an unsettling feeling where they're like, is this even, like, what is going on here? Like, I could have just hired a bunch of randos to, to execute this. I wanted the agency that is known for these results, to do what they do to get me the same results. So that's something to consider. Keep it cohesive. Keep it really outwardly aligned and professional and good communication and everything feels very buttoned up to the client. So how do you price white-labeled services? Usually the firm is going to pay the freelancer or the agency that is Doing the service, so the white labeler, I guess, not the client. So I would not have my client pay a social media team that we're presenting as our team, that is Generation's social strategy team. The firm will receive their standard payment from the client, but then work out a separate fee for those white labeled services and then pay that freelancer or that agency directly. Here's how that looks in execution. The client relationship is with the firm, not the white labeler. Yes, we have our freelancers or our you know agency entities that are doing PR talk to the clients. I want them all to be client facing. They have to be at that level where I can trust they can talk to the client. I trust what they're going to say. Um, but the payment, the contractual relationship is with the firm. And sometimes you may decide that the third party white labeler, person, entity doesn't have any direct interaction with the client. And that is okay too. You can have someone behind the scenes doing the work, the execution. That's totally fine. It's however you choose to create that relationship, um, there is a risk of bringing on white-labeled services that you are on the hook, always, 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 for paying them, regardless of whether or not the client pays you. So if you contract an agency or freelancer for a $10,000 project, you have to pay them on time, even if your client doesn't pay you on time. So that's a risk. And that also should be a factor when you're considering paying a white-labeled freelancer because they don't have to deal with collections and contracts and all of the muck, you know, be in the muck and the mire like a regular agency owner because you're ensuring that they get paid and you're riding that wave hoping your client pays you. You know, I would never, ever, ever not pay a white label or freelancer on time because we didn't get paid on time. So sometimes you have to have significant cash flow to be able to do that. That is the risk that that you take as an agency owner. And that's not their risk. You know, they're coming to you because you're guaranteeing that they're going to get paid, right? We all know that. And so your terms with the client can be, different um getting paid up front and maybe the the uh, freelancer working for you gets paid in arrears so they get paid after you get paid but you meaning like you bill your clients on the first of the month for that month and your freelancer's bill you on the first of the month for the last month so technically you should already get paid by your client but sometimes terms are different clients pay late you still have to pay that invoice on time always take care of your people i had a client a uh, multi multi multi-billion dollar publicly traded company that was very they paid a very high retainer it was a thing of beauty we're talking like multiple five figures fabulous but at the beginning of the pandemic they declared bankruptcy which was not cool at all um and we We had to pay a lot to get these services executed because it was a lot of work. There was a lot of content creation and outside agencies creating a ton of photographic content, like 30 different images from 30 different brands each month. And there was like a long runway, like 90 days from the time we got the concepts to the time we executed because there were so many products to procure and so many ideas to run through approvals. The bigger the client, (laughs) the more channels of approval. So I had been paying my team the whole time and I was always 90 days because they were such a high retainer. I was like, I'm willing to risk it. And when they declared bankruptcy, they owed me a lot of money and I was, my, the money I paid my team was gone, you know, because of course, and so I was like kind of freaking out. And so I reached out to my contact and I begged them and I just said, before you fully have everybody lining up to be creditors, you have to pay me. Like you have to, like, please, like I'm a person, I gotta get paid. And thankfully they did. I still get creditor letters from the bankruptcy court. Um, Thankfully I'm not a creditor because I got paid fully, but that would have been extremely scary because that was so much cash flow that I was working behind because I was paying my people on time and I was getting paid 90 days late. But the risk to me was worth it because the fee was so high, and the caliber of work we were doing was great, and having that type of client on our roster was great. So it was worth it, and thank God I did get paid in advance of them saying get in line as a creditor, because I don't, I don't think I would have gotten anything after they paid everybody else off, I don't know. So that's a risk, but you have to weigh that. Um, when you're working with that white labeler, let's just call them the white labeler. Labeler. It's the one providing the service. You should mark up the package for your client because that will help cover those risks of late payments, incomplete payments, the extra effort that you're taking to manage the client relationship. You're not just passing it off. You're spending time on that. And there's a lot of white labelers that get it. They know that you are marking up their services. They have to know that's just how it is, right? And they're willing to come in for a bit less than maybe they would make if that was their client, because you're having that risk of not getting paid and they will still get paid. They don't have to deal with the contracts, the negotiation. They don't really have to manage the client relationship. They're not really spending all that time doing all of that. Um, And you're probably offering them a lot of work consistently like if you're offering PRs or I keep saying PR, social media services, but you're not actually executing them in your agency, but you know you're offering it to all your clients, and like half of them take you up on it. That's a lot of work for a prospective agency to be white labeling for you. So it's worth it for them. And if you're white labeling your services for another firm, you'd usually offer your services at a discount since the firm is the one managing the relationship for you. They're doing the billing, all the client comms all of the expectation management, all of it, right? And so you're just there to deliver results as the white labeler, as the one executing the services. So if you consistently work with a firm, you can offer them a bundled deal or a flat rate as opposed to an hourly fee. That is how we consider all of our freelancers. I don't want them to have to deal with hourly. I think hourly sucks for a number of reasons. Also part rebellion from billable hours when I was an attorney, which is the worst. You're calculating every tenth of an hour, every six minutes, which is like the amount of time you go to the bathroom. It's like, I don't want to stop the clock to go to the bathroom. That's so like demeaning. You know, I don't need someone to know every tenth of an hour what I'm doing. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, I don't want my freelancer staff to track that either. I don't really care, get the job done. I don't care how long you spend. So if you're offering them a bundled deal for multiple accounts or a flat rate just to execute every month. And, you know, knowing that you're going to do your best and get a lot of results, that's how we do it in our business. It's a great way to build a relationship with that firm, just being their clutch go-to. Like when I pitch our services, I know exactly how much it's going to cost me to execute that campaign monthly so that I have a nice, juicy, healthy margin built in Um, for profit. You know, that's what it's all about. So um, that allows my expenses to be more predictable, more manageable, larger margin to mark up the client package. And this builds goodwill to show appreciation for the opportunity. And so those are the positives. Is it ever a bad idea? Um, The main drawback is that the client relationship wouldn't be yours. You didn't get to explain the work you've done. You can't take credit for the wins you've secured. Like that relationship is ours and our freelancers are not running around saying like these clients are our clients. It's our generation's clients and our work product. And we really can't have, because the client's going to go, who is this? You know, they, like I work with generation. Um, I didn't realize they were an outside team or an outside person. You really can't build that true partnership with the client when you are the one providing white-labeled services. Those wins will belong to the firm that you're supporting and you're probably not able to use them in a case study or, or testimonial to secure your own clients. So it can remove all of that visibility for your own business. And usually you can't really leverage those results going forward. You can work out a special relationship with the agency you're supporting and say, listen, um, if I don't talk about this specific brand, can I mention it in general terms? Or can I mention the brand? Like, what are you comfortable with? And the agency can let you know, you know, yes, you can say um, clean beauty brand versus the name of the brand. Or you can say you secured placements in top tier outlets like XYZ. And then um, maybe you privately share when you speak to that prospective client. I was working um, as a freelancer, so it's not necessarily my client, but these are the results I secured. Just don't put them out online anywhere. um, And make sure you respect that relationship that you've You worked out contractually with the company that you're white labeling for. So it can remove that visibility and won't really allow you to leverage those results, but ask the firm you're supporting what you're able to do there to make sure you're complying. And this is why we don't white label services in my agency. We want to be the established agency in our niches. And if we white labeled our services and we're working under somebody else's company, that really minimizes our presence and the work that we do. And also we're at this point established enough where I don't need to take those opportunities to get the experience or to bring in revenue. I'm very, very fortunate in that regard. But I would have in the beginning if I needed the revenue and I wanted that experience um, and it wasn't I wasn't getting traction on my own, I would have done it. But now that we're 18 years in, we don't necessarily do that. So I've had opportunities where people will say, we have a lot of clients coming in for marketing and building websites, and we don't have a PR arm. And can you work under us and provide those PR services? And the answer is no, that's just not how we work. I'm not going to do that. I also don't want to work for somebody else. I don't want to like be under their leadership. I want to do it my way. So Um, if you're the agency that is bringing in white labeled services, you could run into issues if you don't know that freelancer really well. So you have to vouch for them and you have to know that their work is going to meet your standards and tell your clients that it's going to be up to the quality, right? You're not going to say, well, we're going to give it a try or, um, your clients, first of all, you have a reputation and you want at all costs for your reputation to always be. High and not do anything to risk your positive reputation to your clients or other people in the industry. So, if you're bringing someone on, they are a part of your team. Their wins are your wins and your clients' wins, and their fuck ups are yours. And you have to take responsibility. You are on the hook for poor results. Any wasted time, any lost revenue, if they don't work to your standards or they drop the ball that's on you. So you need to vet these opportunities with these third-party white-labeled agencies or freelancers, come with recommendations, give them a trial period, something that is going to minimize that risk to your reputation and your responsibility to take responsibility if it doesn't go well, okay? I have four best practices. One, always make sure that white labelers are sticking to client protocol. So that client information is theirs. It's the clients, their logo, their branding, their past content, um, any strategy that you develop is the clients. And a lot of the bigger clients we work with have protocol and um, usage rights and things that we're agreeing to when you get their assets, you know, their proprietary info, their logos, their content, um, access to their marketing strategies. That is your responsibility as the agency bringing in a white labeler to ensure that they're following those rules. They should only access files that they have permission to access um, and they can't share that content. Sometimes they can't even share that they are part of that relationship. It depends what you put in to your contract with that third-party agency freelancer. But keep in mind, you're agreeing. I mean, we had a point with that big multi-billion dollar client. They had to like do a security audit. On our company and figure out how are we storing their information? How are we handling a client that gets fired or an employee that gets fired? How do we, what's the process that we have in place for taking their files immediately, changing passwords? What's that protocol so that they, as a publicly traded company, they can't have any security breaches from their third-party contractors. So they had to confirm that we were aligned with their Requirements on the security side, which means that our contractors had to follow those same requirements. Okay. So get them on board. That content belongs to the client or belongs to your agency, not to them. And only give them access to what they need. Um, Number two, give those white labelers their own company email address. So that is going to give your client a seamless experience. And they don't want to be getting emails from email addresses they don't recognize from Gmail addresses, which is so unprofessional. When we bring in freelancers at my own agency, we always give them their own generation PR email address. And when we had a freelancer who was exceptional and I was very flexible with her because she was really good. She refused to use generation PR email when reaching out to the media. She wanted those, uh, contacts to be hers. And she was also supposed to disclose that the clients she was pitching were in support of Generation PR. And eventually she just stopped disclosing that. So those media contacts never connected those clients to Generation. And it really did over time damage our opportunity to establish ourselves even more (coughs) in that niche and show that we have high quality, high caliber clients. And like I said, I let it slide because the freelancer delivered really stellar results, top tier placements all the time. But it was a major trade-off that we had to make. And it was like a big decision. And in the end, preserving client relationships to me was the most important. So what she did was use our email to talk to clients and then used her own email to pitch the media. And it it wasn't the best approach, but it was fine. Um, and the results we got were so good that we were able to leverage them and that never changed. So keep that in mind. So if you're white labeling your services, request that the firm you're working with will set up an email for you. And even if you have multiple team members working on that project, try to communicate through a single email because that will be easier. And what I've done on the social media side, I have set up an email, social at generationpr.com, because that role, it's really hard to find the right people that will do the right um, approach and quality of work that you want. So we had just one email, social at generationpr. So for the client, if that person changed out, there wasn't a new email address they had to start using that kept it a little bit more streamlined. So if you're white labeling and you have an email address at the company you're supporting, have all of your team use that same email. And if you need issues with like, have you read it? Have you responded? Leave it unread in that email if you think somebody else needs to respond or forward it to somebody um, for them to respond because you want to make sure if multiple people are checking it. Okay, number three, sign a contract and an NDA. So whether you're bringing on white-labeled services or you're doing the white labeling yourself, your contract should clearly state that that person or agency doing the services is a third-party contractor. Any work that they produce will belong to your firm offering the service to the client. Sometimes you have a contract with the clients that said that they get access to those things or whatever, that's fine. They're creating that content, those intellectual property assets on behalf of your agency. So they are a contractor. You own the IP. Make it clear that the client relationship belongs to the firm, not to the white label um, provider. And it's always a good idea to include that non-disclosure agreement, NDA, with your white labeling contract. If you don't want a white labeler running off to the client and claiming the work is theirs, especially when the client doesn't know that they were brought on board or that they're an outside company, you need to have this in place. And it also helps you preserve the client relationship when you are utilizing those services. Okay. The last one of my four best practices is do a quality audit before working with a white labeled service Provider. So never assume, this sounds so basic, but come on. Never assume that a white labeler is going to do a good job and complete the work to your standards or the standards and the results you pitch to the client. So you want to see samples of their work before you hire them. Hop on a call to make sure they really understand your services that you've offered, the expectations, um, the scope of work that this white labeling contract is going to entail. And if that white labeler has been heavily vetted by someone you trust, like another digital agency owner within your niche, um, you may still want to vet them in your own way and discuss the scope of work, but that is going to give you a bit more comfort in knowing that they're going to be up to your standards. And once that freelancer comes in and they're white labeling, that quality of work or lack thereof is on you and your agency. So if they do a bad job or they don't complete those deliverables for the project or don't do it on time, you are responsible for that subpar work. And any damage that it does to your credibility and your client relationship, that falls on you. And I've always told you guys, um, as an agency owner, Any team win, share that with your team and make sure the client knows that your team was responsible. Any team flaws, problems, you take responsibility. As the leader of your business, you need to be there for your people. You need to be there for your clients and own it. So, um, It helps a lot to have the nondisclosure, the contractor agreement in place. It helps a lot to have vetted their work and clearly conveyed the scope of work of the agreement so that there's no surprises. But if something goes south, you have to take responsibility for it, which is fine if you've done your homework and you've vetted and then you know the people are going to be great and they're going to make you look good. That's the thing. They do the work and you get to look good. But if they do the bad work, then they make you look bad and you have to mend those, you know, you have to repair those challenges. So um, that's what I have for you guys today. I just appreciate you guys so much. Thank you, as always, for being here. Have a wonderful day and take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pitching Powerhouse podcast. If you're ready to start, grow, and scale a profitable agency all on your own terms, you should consider joining the Agency Accelerator. Check out the link in the episode description to learn more. To achieve your big, scary goals and truly live the type of lifestyle you've always wanted, it's time to join the Agency Accelerator. Inside this incredible program, you'll learn exactly how to structure your PR agency to fill your pipeline with high paying clients and establish a consistent revenue stream so you can run a business that lights you up and that doesn't run you. This program is built around the exact steps that I took to grow a seven-figure PR agency, Generation PR, and now hundreds of other PR professionals around the world have implemented these techniques and strategies to scale their own agencies too. So this stuff works. You guys check out the link in this episode's description to learn more. And as always, be sure to tune in next week for another incredible episode packed with the insights you need to become a pitching powerhouse.